Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. It's great to see everyone here this evening and it's certainly a blessing for us to come together and worship our God Almighty. Tonight is going to be a continuation of our study from Sunday. We started our Eight Weeks to a Better Body series and on Sunday, Brother Ty talked about being a complete person. He talked a lot about balance. And so tonight we're going to do an application from that, study, uh, from that study on Sunday morning. So this is a word that comes up all the time in conversations with people. It's a word that's been more commonly used in my vocabulary as I've grown up a little bit. Every day, it seems like there's more and more we're trying to do and trying to be involved in, and we try to juggle all the things that life throws at us. We have to juggle our family life, our church life, our work life. All of those things have to work together. We have to find the balance. And I want to remind you all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this on Sunday, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are three parts to man. There are three parts that make up a complete person. The spirit, that's our thinking, reasoning, and understanding. That's our emotions, that's our mindset, that's our attitude. And then there's the soul, the eternal part of man. The part of man that's going to live etern- in, in eternity with God someday. And then thirdly, there is the body the physical side of man. And we have to somehow find balance between those things in our lives. So I want to look at these columns for a moment. And this represents the balance we have in our life. That's going to look different for every person. Sometimes uh, we might have our body down here. It's not where it needs to be, but our soul is, is doing okay. Our spirit is doing okay. Our, maybe we have a good spirit. We have a good attitude but our soul is not doing good because our body isn't quite where it needs to be. Or maybe it looks like this, our spirit's down, but inside we're doing okay. They're, these things are way too interconnected to try to talk about them independently, but I want to talk about these a little bit tonight. But the point is we all have a different balance in our lives. This represents the different balance and the different things we go through in our lives because we're all at a different place on this scale But I want to argue tonight that there is a balance we should all be striving for. And that is the perfect balance. And the perfect balance is God's standard. Let's read Psalm 73 verse 26. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This talks about the flesh, the the physical side of man, and our heart, the spiritual, the soul, the eternal side of man. We can't do these things alone. The power and the strength comes from God. Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. These things, everything we do should be about God. Hebrews 4.12 talks more on this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Uh, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This talks about the heart, or the soul, the spirit, and also the physical side of man. But what affects those things in our lives? 
is God and His Word. I want to place an importance on those things. Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So we're talking about this perfect balance, or God's standard. That means that all three parts of man should be focused on God. Our spirits should magnify God. Our souls should magnify God. And our bodies, the things we do physically, should magnify God. And that's the perfect balance. So let's dig in a little bit to this. Let's talk about the spirit. We're going to talk about these... Uh, we're going to talk about these as individual concepts, but just remember there's a lot of overlay because they work together in harmony to make, up, uh, to make up a complete person. But just keep that in mind as we go through this study. When I think of the spirit of a man, the first person I thought of was Job. What kind of spirit do we have? You know, a Christian, excuse me, a Christian is supposed to be fervent in spirit. What does that mean? The word fervent, when you look at it, means hot, right? It means hot. It means glowing. That should be our spirit. Now, think about Job. Job we're not going to go into the story of Job, but he went through a lot in his life, didn't he? What was his spirit like? Job 7:11. therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. His spirit was in anguish. That's, that, that's what his spirit, that's what he was going through. Okay, Job 15, 13. This was an individual talking to Job. That you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth? What was Job like? His spirit wasn't good. In fact, it was turned against good. It was turned against God. In fact, Job 17, 1, this is my favorite. My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished and the grave is ready for me. I think he's kind of a drama queen a little bit. But this was his spirit. He had a bad spirit. But why? He didn't have the right balance. But where was Job's focus? Look at this first verse, Job 7, 11. He referred to himself four times in technically one sentence. He said, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job's focus was on self. And when our focus is on self, let me remind you who we are. We are broken, imperfect individuals. And so when you focus on the imperfectness of self, you see the negative. Your focus is on the negative. You're going to have a negative spirit. But that's where Job was at. His spirit was broken. Why? Because he was focused on the wrong thing. He turned away from God. But we see a change in Job's spirit. Look at these verses. Job 10 and 12. His mindset, his mindset shifts. He says, you have granted me life and favor. He's talking to God. And your care has preserved my spirit. His spirit was preserved. His spirit was restored. How and why? He was thanking God because God grants us life and favor. That's where his focus was. The Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives. Gives me life, gives me strength. The Almighty gives. And that's where his focus was. The, his focus was on giving his Spirit over to the Spirit of God. And David's another good example of this. In Psalm 31 verse 5, Into your hand I commit my Spirit. 
You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. When our focus is on God, our focus is on perfection, on positive things, which gives us a good spirit. We need to be able to commit our spirit to God and let His spirit work in us. And then what happens? What are the fruit? The fruits of His Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When we turn towards God and we let His Holy Spirit work through us, these are the fruits of His labor from us that come out of us. Think about this for a moment. When someone thinks of James Minson or Race or Ty Fleming or whoever, when they think of you, do they think of someone that is, while they're joyful, they're long-suffering, they're kind, they're faithful, they're gentle, they're loving. Because if that's not what they think of when they think of you or I, our spirit might not be turned towards God, and His spirit might not be working through us. We talk about mindset. Colossians 3.2 tells us where to set our minds. On things above, not on things of the world. There's a time and a place for physical things, and those things are important in our lives, and we're going to get there, but that's not where our focus should be. Our focus should be on eternal things, on God. And so how do we apply? I think Philippians 4 and 6 gives us this answer. Start, uh, starting in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Whether it's a spirit of anxiety, sadness, depression, anger, whatever your spirit is, how do you fix it? What do you do to let God in, to turn towards God, to have a positive spirit? Well, Prayer and supplication. Pray to God. Well, James, I pray every morning and it's not fixing my, my spirit, my attitude. Pray harder. Pray twice a day. Well, I'm praying twice a day. It's not working. Pray harder. Pray three times a day. It's gonna, this is the answer God gave us. I promise it'll work. But you might be missing a crucial step. This word right here with thanksgiving. I think this is what proves the point. You can pray to God all day long, and it can still be effective, but we're told to do it with thanksgiving. I challenge you to when you pray in your life, to start off your prayer thanking God for all the things he's done for you. Start listing off all of your blessings. Name them. And I promise you'll never be able to stop because they never end. God has blessed us in so many ways. And so when we focus on those things, when we thank God for those things, and we talk about those things, it forces us to focus on the positive, which in turn gives us a better spirit. So pray with thanksgiving. Let's get our balance of our spirit where it needs to be. What about our soul? What about the eternal side of man? Psalm 23 and verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. We're familiar with the fact that our soul needs restoration. Our soul needs fixing. Where does that come from? This is tied to His guidance. 
God leads us. God leads our soul to restoration. Let's think about that. Let's keep that in our minds. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 37 and 38 uh, talks about this concept of the soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The apostle talks about the importance of our soul. And that our soul, if it's not in the right place, what are we giving in exchange for our soul? What are we willing to sell our soul for? Physical things? No, our soul is important. And what does he tie this to? He talks about his words. If you're ashamed of him or his words, he's going to be ashamed of you. That's what it says. So how do we make sure we're not ashamed of his words? We read it. That's directly tied to our soul. Now, how does God guide us? What are God's words? 1 Peter 1 and 9 mentions the salvation of our souls. We know that the salvation happens in our souls. Our souls, the eternal side of man, is what's going to be saved. And that's what we need. That's why it's the most important. So how do we apply? What is God's guidance? And what is, what are God's word that is going to give us salvation and restoration. I think Psalm chapter 1 breaks this down for us. Let's dig into this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in his season, whose leaf also will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." The man who sits, stands, or walks in ungodly ways will not be blessed and will wither away. But blessed is the man whose delight, who takes delight in God's law and meditates on it every day, all the time, as much as he can. And what happens? He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in his season. When we firmly plant ourselves in the word of God, we're going to prosper. We're going to bring forth fruit. We're not going to wither away. The ungodly are not so. The ungodly are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly are not firmly planted in the word of God, and they are blown away in the wind like the chaff, like the excess of the wheat we don't need. Their, weaf, their leaf withers away. They don't produce fruit. They don't prosper. So what side do you stand on? Are you firmly planted in the word of God? Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God's guidance and God's word comes from reading it, studying it, and meditating on it. Now, this doesn't mean spend 100% of your time reading the Bible, because God's given you other work to do. God's told men to provide for their families, and God's told me, God has told men to go to work. If we're reading our Bible 100% of the time, we don't have the right balance, right? But as much as we possibly can, let's plant ourselves in the Word of God, because it is food for our soul, and it's what's going to bring us salvation, restoration, 
And it's going to help us grow closer to him. That is how we magnify God with our soul. Now what about our bodies? The physical side of man. What does the Bible tell us to do with our bodies? Look at Romans chapter 12. The very first verse. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We've talked about this concept before, being a sacrificial Christian. But think about this. What do we really sacrifice for the cause of Christ? We sacrifice our time. Do we sacrifice our will? Are we living a living sacrifice to God? Are we willing to give up things we want to do to do God's work? To do the things he's asked us to do? We sing that song talking about being a full self-sacrifice, right? Is that who we are? Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, talking about the physical, we live a life in the physical. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We live this mortal life by faith. And encapsulated in that is obedience. We live our lives in faithfulness to God, obeying Him, doing the things He wants us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 24. What does God want us to do? Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You ever think about the mo- your motive behind why you do certain things? Your purpose? The reason why you do things? Why are we supposed to do the things we do? Well, one, because God has told us to. He's given us things to do. But just because we are allowed to do them, does that mean we should be doing them? Let me give you a for instance. A lot of times we try to justify the things we want to do with the Word of God. We say things like, well, the Bible doesn't say we can't do this, therefore let's do it. But doesn't the Bible give us things we should be doing? I'll give an example, and I want to preface this by saying, I'm not saying entertainment is inherently sinful or it is a sin to watch movies, but I want to give an illustration. Say James Minson wants to take two hours to go watch a movie. To take time to entertain. Take time for entertainment. What does that really mean? We talk about using words that really make things sound not as bad as they are. But who are we entertaining? Self. Why are we entertaining? Self. Because we want to do it. If James Minson decided I'm not going to watch that two hour movie every night. I'm going to take those two hours a night and go do the things God has told me to do, not about self, not because I want to do them, but because God says, do the things that edify and build up people. And in turn, that glorifies God. Seek each other's well-being. There might be a time and place for entertainment. And that, in some ways, if you go see a movie with someone, that might edify. I see, I see the purpose for some of those things. But it's important for us to think about the things that we're doing. Just give it some thought because we don't need to get into habits that are going to keep us from doing things that God wants us to do. 
And so it, it really is a simple concept. And we read here in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, what, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything we should be doing should be glorifying God. And so how do we apply this concept? How do we apply it? Think before you act. Whatever you do throughout the day, whether it seems big or small, just give it some thought. Think about where your heart is and why you're doing that thing. And ask yourself, is this thing going to magnify self? Or is it going to magnify and glorify God? Or is it going to build up other people, which in turn glorifies God? Let's really focus on what we're doing with the physical side of our life and make sure there's a meaning and a purpose behind it. That's how we want to find the right balance with the physical side of man. So what is the application for this sermon on application? The application are these things we talked about. Prayer and thanksgiving. We want the right spirit. We need to pray and we need to give thanks. We need to have a positive attitude and we need to be fervent in spirit. Remember those things. We need to study God's word and we need to be firmly planted in it. Think about it day and night. And we need to practice it. We need to do it every day. And we need to think before we act. We need to make sure the things we're doing have the right heart behind them. So how do we take these practical application concepts and put them into our day-to-day -day lives? I want to go just a little bit deeper. Let's create a routine. I want to go through an exercise. It might be something a little different than what... You know, we normally do, but this is something that I think is important because this is something that has helped me a lot. And so I'd like to share it with you. Whether you have a piece of paper or your phone or you just want to listen, that's okay. But let's walk through this process together of creating a routine that incorporates these things in our life. What does this mean? First off, create a list. Whether it's five things or 30 things, the things that you need to do or that you want to do every single day Write it all down and just have it there on a piece of paper. And then prioritize. Figure out what, what are the things that are a need and what are the things that are a want. And out of those needs and, want, needs and wants, what are more important? What do you need to make sure absolutely gets done? So prioritize. And then time management is a big part of this. Apply timestamps to the things that you do. And make sure you're managing your time well, whether it's you get up an extra 15 minutes so that you can make sure you have enough time to study your Bible, or you take 15 minutes out of your Bible reading so you can put 15 extra minutes into family time. Manage your time well. It's an important part of this process. List out the things, prioritize, and put a time to them. And then seek counsel. You know, there's a lot of people in this room that, that have been striving for the perfect balance, that have been striving to create a good routine for years, you can go to those people and ask them for help and ask for their advice. What's step two? Practice. What does this mean? Think of a surfer. This is what I think of. There's a surfer on a surfboard in the ocean, and he has to balance. He has to stay balanced on that surfboard because the ocean is constantly throwing him obstacles, constantly throwing him waves, and he has to adjust he has to shift so that he can stay balanced or else he will fall. He has to adjust and adapt to what, what the ocean is throwing at him. This is what we're doing. 
When we practice this over and over, we have to be willing to be ready for what life is going to throw at us. And we've got to find our footing. We've got to stay planted because, or, or else we're going to lose our balance and we're going to fall. We've got to be willing to change some things up. So practice it and adjust and adapt and get it to where you need it to be. What's step three? Coexist. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our own routines that it becomes about us and we forget about everyone else. But the reality is our routines need to harmonize with each other. For a married couple specifically, a husband and a wife are going to have two different routines, two different things they do throughout their day, but they have to get along. They need to be willing to cooperate with each other. They cannot contradict each other. They have to be willing to make compromise. If the wife says, I need you to take an extra hour in your day to spend time with me and the kids, it might be important. You might ought to listen to it. Be willing to make uh, sacrifices and compromise and to communicate the things that you want to do. It, whether it's you take this list on paper and you give it to your spouse and you help each other, just communicate these things and communicate why you're doing these things. And then the final step, make it a habit. Once you've created your list, got it where you wanted, you've practiced, you've incorporated other people, make it a habit. Do it over and over, and that takes focus. I don't know if y'all have ever been to a circus, but I went to a circus when I was a kid, and I watched a man walk across a tightrope 100 feet up in the air. And it was pretty scary just watching it from the ground. But let's put ourselves in the place of that man for a minute. A hundred feet up in the air. And there's a tightrope that we're going to have to balance on and walk all the way to the end without falling. We are walking and balancing on that tightrope. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be cameras flashing. There's going to be people cheering. There's going to be distractions. And we've got to keep our focus or else we're going to lose our balance. That tightrope is our life. And we have an end goal, but we have to stay focused to keep our balance. We have to have skill. Keeping the perfect routine or keeping a godly routine and practicing it, that doesn't come overnight. You've got to work at it. You've got to do it over and over. And there are people here to help you do that. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be careful. If you don't take it slow, if you don't watch your step, if you don't adjust, if you don't adapt, you're going to lose the balance and you're going to fall and you're not going to make it to the end where the goal is. This is what has helped me create a routine and I am not perfect at it in any sort. And my argument today is that none of us are perfect at it. None of us have the perfect routine or the perfect balance in our lives. But I want to remind us that Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your works or devote your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. You want to devote everything you have to God. You want to be devoted, devoted to God. Make sure that you're striving for the perfect balance every day. Now I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. The bad news is at the end of the day, we're going to try our hardest and we're never going to reach that line. We're never going to reach perfection. We're going to fall short every single time, no matter how hard we practice. But the good news is, is there's something there. 
There's something there that fills in those gaps. That when God looks down on us, he doesn't see the imperfections. He sees righteousness. What does this red represent? This is the blood of Jesus. And so matter, no matter how hard you try, no matter how diligent you are at focusing and working and striving for the perfect balance in your life, thank Jesus for what he's done for you. And have faith in him that he will see you through. Give him your best and he will take care of the rest. And God bless you all as you strive for the perfect balance in your life. If the church can help you find that in some way tonight, if you'd like to apply some of these things to your life and you need help, if you want the blood of Jesus to cover your sins and to stand in the gap for you, come forward and sit on the front row as we stand and sing. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.